0: Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 67 for Friday, November 27th, Black Friday, 2020. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer, Ken Gagney.
1: And I am Captain Sabriel Mastin, and I am ready for the Nerd-Off today.
0: The Nerd-Off? What's the Nerd-Off? The Navar Nerd-Off. Oh, well, I think every episode of Transporter Lock is in some form a Nerd-Off.
1: Thematically, with the TV show today I was going for, but you are right.
0: Gotcha. Well, first of all, I need to correct myself. On a previous episode of Transporter Lock two weeks ago, we watched episode five, and I said we're now halfway through the season. Last week, we watched episode six. I said we're now in the back half of the season. That's wrong, because I was operating on the assumption that there are ten episodes this season, just like there were ten episodes in Picard and ten episodes in Lower Decks, both this year. Discovery season three has 14 episodes, just like the previous seasons of Discovery. So it is this week, with season three episode seven, unification three that we are now halfway through the episode i apologize for cutting us all short i am in no rush for this season to end
1: the number of episodes in a season probably has come up before i could look it up but that's something i just don't ever remember you could have asked me how many episodes were in any of the last seasons i would have told you like 15 20 20 seems too much probably would have said like 11 15 no idea
0: I think I am somebody who pays a lot of attention to the episodes of our podcast, even though I do screw it up sometimes. Like this is number sixty-seven, and so I try to pay attention to how it corresponds to the Star Trek show. And I just fall- fell into a rut in calendar year twenty twenty. I don't know what else there is this year for me to be thinking of other than podcast episode numbers. But there you have it. I yeah, made a
1: mistake. That is very weird. Yeah, twenty twenty of all years. <laughs>
0: But we are now here. We now are at the halfway point for Season 3. This is Unification 3. The TLDR is that Discovery goes to the homeworld of Vulcan, which is now home also to the Romulans. And Burnham meets her mom, who is now a co-op a fighting nun. And together they try to convince the Vulcans to give them the evidence they need to detect the source of the burn. That's the long and the short of it, and wow, we once again went to a familiar planet this week. We previously saw Earth, we saw Trill, and now we're going to, what is the name of this new planet now?
1: Navar, which uh, the internet says stands for now, it's Vulcans and Romulans.
0: <laughs> that makes perfect sense, and I wouldn't be surprised if the showrunners actually chose that name for that reason. We, like, I don't know the Vulcan and Romulan native tongues, is there anything? Idea that maybe this actually means something to them.
1: Um, there was, I remember seeing some people say like Var means something in Vulcan, but it's, eh, it didn't stick. It didn't <laughs> stick. If, okay. So.
0: Now, we did suspect when we saw the name of these episodes so far in advance that Unification 3 was probably a tie-in to the TNG two-parter, Unification 1 and 2, which you saw just earlier this year. And you called it, this is absolutely about the reunification of the Vulcan and Romulan tribes, was the word that the Admiral used. So this concretely, if there was ever any doubt, puts us in the Prime Universe. This is not the universe where Nero destroyed Vulcan with a black hole. This is the universe where Romulus was destroyed by a supernova, as we also saw in Picard.
1: Was that ever in question?
0: I think in Seasons 1 and 2, especially Season 1 of Discovery, there was some question of which universe this is in. Because since it was set pre-TOS, it almost didn't matter. But then we saw in Season 2, Pike was you know, still captain of the Enterprise, which which did not happen in the Kelvin universe. So that sort of made it clearer. But this is the first season that is set after the events of the Kelvin universe. So this really settles any lingering questions that anyone may have had, in my opinion.
1: It better. And the other thing is that uh, starships do not look like hot rods.
0: Oh, like they do in the Kelvin universe? Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I watched this episode of discovery uh, with my host here in portland oregon you can follow k on twitter at k Savits. and they had never seen discovery before they nonetheless sat through the whole episode and i explained enough context that they could understand what was going on and they watched the whole show they didn't walk away and what they had to say was that it was a very pretty show they really liked the mm-hmm. cinematography the lighting the art direction they they were a fan
1: that's really cool uh, and this isn't the first time you've had someone who, basically, has no idea what's going on watch Discovery, a so- show that is made to be watched almost basically in order, at least each season, and still enjoy what they saw.
0: Well, if you're talking about me, I never have any idea what's going on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I met more like a friend, our mutual friend, Andy. I I think he was your barber. That's uh, right.
0: Yeah, my that's right. My barber was watching Picard and he was like, So who's this seven eight nine character? And <laughs> I said, Oh, she's Borg, and he's like, What what's the Borg?
1: Sounds Swedish. And,
0: <laughs> and our friend Andy listens to Transporter Lock without watching Star Trek. He just likes hearing our banter. I guess that's enough of a draw for some
1: people. <laughs> At least one person.
0: <laughs> and that's you know that I wouldn't say that's our target target audience, but I'm glad he's
1: here. <laughs> uh so we got to go to Navarre.
0: Yeah, I... You know, we, we finally saw the reunification of these two peoples, and did we get a timeline on when that happened? Because there are still clearly two camps on this planet. The Romulans and the Vulcans still self-identify as separate species, even though they're cohabitating.
1: I think it was only alluded to hundreds of years, but I don't... If it was specific, again, it didn't stick, but... um. Uh, so it has been a while. Uh, I think before the burn.
0: Okay. Be- that, that that makes sense. Because there was a non-canon novel that I read where Spock went to Romulus. And at one point he had to go through a bioscanner and his DNA came up as Romulan. And so he thought, oh, that means that even despite these thousands of years of co-divergence, we still are genetically identical. And so... I would think if they were sharing the same planet eventually they start interbreeding and it just doesn't matter who they are anymore.
1: I think that's who um the
0: from Data's one, day?
1: No, the the oh. woman in this episode who had long red hair. I think she yes. was supposed to be a half Vulcan, half Romulan.
0: Oh, I didn't pick up uh, on that. Well,
1: at least she did represent both ideals. So, I, I just, my, my interpretation was that she was supposed to be uh, half Vulcan, half Romulan, but that is totally me. They did not say that at all.
0: Well, that would sort of parallel the way they voted, where the clearly Vulcan character voted against, the clearly Romulan character voted for, and the redhead abstained. Mm-hmm. You know, she sort of fell in between them, perhaps not just politically, but also genetically.
1: Yeah, it, her Romulan ridges were less pronounced and whatnot, Mm. so that's how I got that, but it doesn't necessarily mean one way or the other.
0: Yeah. Have we ever seen a Vulcan or Romulan with red hair?
1: I don't believe so. It's It's... usually with the uh, black wig that's very straight cut.
0: Yeah, the one exception I can think of is the uh, half-Romulan, half-human daughter of Tasha Yar, who wore blonde hair.
1: Yeah, or or, uh, old old Romulans would have gray.
0: Sure. Yeah okay so where do you want to go with this review
1: um you know even when i was rewatching this like i really enjoyed the episode but I, really, like, I don't know where to begin so i think we'll just have to start throwing something out there and go from there let's just start at the top we got um let's go with michael and her relationship with spock uh, there was a moment near the beginning here that, um, so you had the same reaction I did. I was in tears as Michael finally let herself look up what happened to her brother when she left. And to see Leonard Nimoy on screen yet again, um, was wow. Uh, that was powerful for me.
0: Yeah. When you say again, I assume you're referring to the, uh, third Kelvin Universe movie. Yeah, when they showed the picture of him with the TOS crew, many of whom are departed. And then seeing him again in this episode, and also the context of hearing Jean-Luc Picard's name even spoken. Mm -hmm. uh, Those two together meant a lot to me. And also the scene even before that where Michael is told by the Admiral, Ambassador Spock worked to reunify these people. And she was like, oh my god, he was an ambassador. Oh my god, that's my brother. I didn't realize that... at that moment that the Admiral knew that Michael was Spock's brother. And so I was thought maybe he was wondering, why is she so emotionally reacting to this? <laughs> but that made it more powerful because it almost felt like a secret that she and I were sharing. They were like, Oh my God, we know what this means to her. Even if the people around her don't, this is so amazing.
1: Uh, uh Unfortunately, Bans did know somehow because he was like, aha, we're going to use Spock's sister as our way into Navarre.
0: Right. Right, he was very quick to take advantage of that, and I it took me a moment to think. I, I I had misremembered. I thought that the existence of Discovery had been wiped from the records of Starfleet Annals and clearly not its entire existence or its crew, because you know, there is a record of Michael Burnham being Spock's sister.
1: I think yeah, and now you mentioned I think just the spore drive and its the tech around it was uh disavowed, but like its existence was probably just say lost in battle during the Klingon War or something like that or whatever. Lost right. lost at sea.
0: <laughs> well, especially with Nan. When she left Discovery a week or two ago, she said that her parents must have been devastated when they learned of her death. So there was some record of her having been lost in the line of duty. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was great to see Leonard Nimoy again. I'm you know, it's not just that Spock served so admirably and that he his life mission was fulfilled and that it had a lasting impact on the Star Trek universe. It's also that Leonard Nimoy is still playing a role in Star Trek, that he himself as an actor created this character who was so long lasting. I think that's what hits me more than the character is the actor.
1: What's fascinating is that this is a man who was like for a short time wanted to drop any relation to the character. And over the decades, he got that much closer to it instead. And it's become this thing where like here, or even again, they dipped into the Spock slash Leonard, uh, Leonard Nimoy well, and it still hits it does not feel like, oh, they're just doing it again. It still hits. And there's something special about that.
0: Well, how often have they really done it? Maybe twice in the last 20 years? This is uh, not something I mean, that they take advantage of.
1: I mean, I don't know. A uh, second uh, Star Trek movie? Uh, Into Darkness? Like, oh, let's call up Spock again. Uh, okay. A third one. <laughs> uh, you know, like, oh, let's invoke his memory. I mean, it was a, you know homage. It meant a lot. But it's like, they kept doing it. But to me, it still feels genuine. Each time, it's felt genuine. I did not dislike the Into Darkness one.
0: Well, you bring up a good point. I hadn't thought of that one. And I can see how in that particular movie, they could have done without it. And it would not have significantly impacted the narrative of the film, in my opinion. Whereas this week, it was central to the plot. They could not have removed Spock because those episodes of TNG, without those... We would not have had this week's movie where, uh, episode. Whereas, without Spock, you could still have Into Darkness, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, at least not. You could still have this, but it wouldn't. It would be a different way. It would be a different route, but a route that we've probably explored multiple times through Star Trek already, even in like, Enterprise and whatnot, and so or the like, original series. So here, it's a new way to do this. Uh, have a nerd off. Um, which I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, although I will say that they took the news the discovery crew that Vulcans and Romulans are the same species rather well. I mean, that was the whole episode incident. Uh I'm sorry, was it What was the na- the Balance of Terror in the uh-huh. TOS? I've never actually seen that episode. Oh. I I know that Mark Leonard plays the Romulan captain, Uh uh, but unfortunately, TOS is the only live-action Star Trek that I've not seen every episode of, even though I have it on Blu-ray. And that's one of the episodes I haven't seen yet. But at this point, 60 plus or 50 plus years later, you know all the details without having to see it.
1: (laughs) You know, at this point, I feel like the Discovery Crew's, like, cybernetic men from the Delta Quadrant, uh, (laughs) dinosaurs were on Earth and took people. uh Amelia Earhart appeared in the delta quadrant uh war with the gamma quadrant sure whatever <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know there's so much history for them to catch up on and that's what i meant to bring up last week when we were talking about the retrofit that the discovery got everybody had to be retrained on how to use this new tech but it's not just new tech it's new knowledge like New medical equipment comes with new medical insights into how to treat things, kind of like when McCoy goes back in time in any number of episodes of Star Trek TOS <laughs> I or movies. Think about that a lot, <laughs> right? Like he's like, "You goddamn cavemen, are you still using leeches?" You know, <laughs> it's not just the technology. He could give technology to these doctors from the 1980s, and they would misuse it. So I can't imagine uh, Wilson Cruz's doctor on Discovery. Like, has to suddenly realize, oh, this condition has been cured. This condition is not what we thought it was. This other condition is now treated this way. It's just so much to catch up on and add in all the things you just mentioned about Cybermen and changelings. Where, how do they even know what threats to
1: anticipate? (laughs) I mean, it's like here, uh, one of the beginning of the episode, there was so much like, where do we start? Uh, let's just pick this and go branch out from there. Uh, (laughs) Um oh can I remember you maybe think of something that I thought was either amusing or interesting can I uh, nope it's gone okay let's continue uh, oh I'm sorry <laughs> no 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 uh, there was not it was not a delay because by anything it was a flash in the pan thought that was probably irrelevant and I'll think of <laughs> it in the most the least convenient time like in the middle of the night it
0: wasn't anything to do with the fact that the nacelles were detached and now uh, they reattach when they warp or whatever? No,
1: but I did write that down in the tech note. Like I missed it the first time and I saw someone mention it online and I watched it today again. Like, oh, there it is. It did. I didn't see that.
0: I didn't even notice. When is the last time we saw a Discovery go to traditional warp?
1: Uh I know for <laughs> sure, because I watched season one shortly before lower decks or during. And um it was shortly after the weird beacon planet. Uh, They're like uh, Admiral Cornell, was like Or whoever was like, you gotta come here and help defend the lions And Discovery was like or Lorca was like, alright uh, We'll go to warp <laughs> <laughs> Spore dries down or something, right? Uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> That's
0: right, because at one point they were told no more use of the warp drive, and then or of the spore drive, and then season two, they're like, this is an emergency situation. We need to use the spore drive. <laughs> like, how convenient.
1: How convenient. But um, with Navarre, the big thing here is the Federation made them believe accidentally that they were the cause of the burn. Uh, Wow. To well- have that... Yeah.
0: I mean I mean the the federation forced them to pursue a scientific advancement that the Vulcans and Romulans were ready to abandon. And then when it happened when the burn happened, I don't think the federation blamed Vulcan but since no. they didn't have an alternative explanation the Vulcans came to their own conclusion and then seceded from the federation.
1: Yeah, that's a much longer way of saying what I said, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't
0: get a clear explanation of what this technology was and how the data would be helpful to Burnham's investigation. Can you clue me in on that? Yeah,
1: so the data that uh, Burnham had found, they had three points, and they were stress like, okay, cool, we can get a trajectory, we can triangulate, but that only gives us a vague 2D space to look in. There's a lot of space in a 3D world, a 4D even, uh, that covers 2D Uh, range. So we need another plane of data. And all these little, little SB19 satellites, I guess the best way to call them, uh, were scattered of all ranges all across this very large expanse of space in basically the third dimension or adds a third dimension to the data that they already had. And so they needed that to pinpoint, um, where the cause or the perceived cause of the burn is. So basically, they need a third plane. They only had two dimensions, they needed three.
0: But with all those satellites that this Vulcan Romulan program had deployed, wouldn't those be enough <laughs> without the three black boxes?
1: Uh, hypothetically, but I guess it depends on if they have the black boxes that keep track of the exact time things stopped. I mean, I guess we're going to go on the assumption that they didn't have that. Otherwise, you could have just looked for these in the first place.
0: Also, they were talking about one one-millionth of a microsecond. <laughs> like, a microsecond on its own is already pretty minute. And so, I I can't imagine that there is technology so precise that it can measure a millionth of a microsecond. My goodness.
1: Uh it's the future. There are Cybermen <laughs> and changelings, uh, sure. like much like when I played D anD D. There are talking dragons in this world, so I don't question a bunch of the weird things. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I want to see talking dragons in Star Trek. Have we seen uh, dragons in Star I don't Trek know yet? If we
1: have. We have. We've seen uh, Gorn. Uh,
0: I suppose I did <laughs> like the Gorn on Mirror Enterprise. I thought that was cool. Me
1: too. Right. Um. So we got Michael. <laughs> She's like, all right, I'm just going to convince them through logic, convince them through logic that uh, they were they did not cause the burn and everything will be cool. And they're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, uh, but then we see that the Vulcans, we have the Vulcans who are very logical and scientific, are having uh, an, an, uh, a cultural crisis uh, caused by the interpretation of the facts. Uh, and so giving you the data is not that, uh, easy. And I find it interesting to see that the, uh, I guess Navarre now, um, are having that discussion on their planet, uh, having that cultural crisis of science.
0: It reminds me of the Voyager episode Living Witness, where the doctor presents data to say the things that you think your people are responsible for didn't go down the way that you think that they did. And that itself creates a civil war. And so, same thing here, where the Romulans are saying, let's find out that we didn't cause the burn. And the Vulcans are saying, no, we did cause the burn. And just trying to find out the truth creates that similar tension.
1: Uh, I mean, we've seen some things like that in our sadly real-life parallel, too.
0: This is true. Oh, <laughs> that's great.
1: Um, uh. But Yeah. Uh, and so, basically, you get this three factions of, like, so look at the data. Or no, why look at the data. We already have the facts, and then the you're well, away. <laughs> um,
0: Although I gotta say, if the Vulcans think that they caused the burn, that's not just a conclusion they arrove at, arrove? <laughs> arrived at a rove arrived at Maybe I was playing Riven, I don't know. Maybe they missed it. I don't know why, but that must have been a rather convincing set of data that they were looking at i don't think it's just they jumped to a conclusion and so i suspect that they were probably somehow framed that the burn was intentionally designed to coincide with whatever research the vulcans were doing so that the true source would not be explored
1: uh hypothetically anyway we um we also don't know like who was in charge of all of that, and maybe they had their own ways. I'm, I'm thinking back to now we know that the Vulcans can still have the same problems we have now, where even if we have or here on Earth in the current day, depending on who in charge can lead the direction in which your research is going, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily, even if it's not necessarily the correct way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, or we have even seen that in Star Trek with the androids and like Picard.
0: Although I will say that all three planets Discovery has gone to, they've gotten rather frosty receptions from specific individuals in charge. Like, they get to Earth, and the one person says, turn around, or we'll blow you up. And then they get to Trill, and the one person says, leave now, or we will kill this human. And then they—I'm exaggerating a little bit. And then they get to Vulcan, and this one person says, if you continue to ask for this data, we will turn you away. I was like, wow. I mean— I all these people have valid reasons for the receptions that Discovery is getting, but they're not finding a lot of friends out there, and that's really representative of just how far the Federation has fallen, which is sad.
1: Yeah, at least you know in the Vulcans' uh, situation, like they're just stuck with this. It's because of the burn; they're stuck with these roommates now that <laughs> are you know a lot of times they're okay, but a lot of times like they still keep secrets and maybe don't wash all the dishes. Uh, I, hate I could, that. yeah, I could see why they might be testy, but everyone else, I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know, I think we were as a human species rather inward looking until the Vulcans arrived on April 5th, 2063 and then we started looking outward. But if our ability to remain in contact with those other species was cut off from us, which is what happened with the burn, we might start looking inward again and become more insular and a little bit more xenophobic.
1: I mean, it seems like it's our natural state to try to find something that's different about people who are not us.
0: Yeah, even if it's completely superficial meaningless things like the color of one's
1: skin. Uh-huh. And so <sighs> oh, humanity is really good at that and our stories in like even Star Trek mean is going to reflect that and people of other planets will be good at that too because as culture we are good at that sadly although you know one thing
0: not mentioned in any three of the unification episodes and which got only a brief mention in lower decks was what about the remans
1: <laughs> their uh, planet
0: must have blown up too but they're not living on vulcan
1: uh th- i know there was some talk oh no i might be thinking about the anar uh because Andorians also have uh, a second Group uh, the Anar who we saw in Enterprise. Uh, they right. have much paler skin, and yep. someone noticed like during last week's episode, some of the people chasing after the uh, uh, escapee, people who are escaping uh, servitude. Uh, some of them were paler Andorians, so they could say them, but no one called them by name.
0: Hmm. But- I guess they're still Andorians of a sort.
1: Yeah. Uh, Or maybe they all live on one planet. No, we're all Andorians. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, On the inside. (laughs) Back to Michael and the Navarre. Um, Yes. I mean, here we finally get this episode. We we get to see Michael finally work through her emotions as she's been building up all season. And it's something I thought was going to happen at the end of the season. But it's happening now. And this is, does she belong here on Discovery? And lo and behold, who should show up? Uh, to finally parent their kid, but her mother.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, first of all, when they said the Kowat Milot, I was excited because that's a tie-in to Picard, of course. And I had just finished reading the Picard prequel novel, which I've mentioned on this show, and the Kowat Milot played an important role in that book as well. And so I feel like I was just reading about them recently, and here they are again. And I'm glad that they are not just introducing new concepts into the Star Trek universe as a plot device when it's convenient and then throwing it away or forgetting about it, it's becoming part of the star Trek lore and then incorporating it in a lot of different ways. Although I always thought, correct me if I'm wrong, that the Quat Milat were Romulans. And now here we have a very human woman.
1: Boy who is not Ichab on um, Picard. Wasn't he Vulcan? Oh no, he was, uh, he just, was, a Rom- he was just a boy. He was just a boy. That was the problem. Yeah. Um, he was
0: a Romulan male. Usually it's uh, Romulan women.
1: I mean, traditionally, all we know is what was in Picard, and it's not, at that time it was Romulans. But uh if you're Navarre now, maybe it's been extended to as long as you are Navarre. But also, Gabriel, sadly, like, she got here, she, that they took her in. So it's just like Elnor, they took him in and helped make him that. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities, even from what we know. But a lot has changed in 930 years, so who knows? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I remember with Elnor, they kept hoping that his parents would show up or somebody would claim him, and nobody did, so they just kept him. I imagine, imagine Gabriel showing up in the quad and saying, well, maybe somebody will show up to claim her.
1: <laughs> or like, basically, well, there's no lithium, so I guess you're stuck here. Uh, yeah.
0: But uh, I, I guess if you're a time-traveling human from 930 years in the past and you got nowhere to go, why not? <laughs>
1: Uh, I thought it was so Star Trek to have uh someone who grew up with Vulcans uh, have to work through their feelings in a Vulcan ritual uh, where they usually repress their feelings. I thought that was a great way to have Michael work through her thoughts and feelings of where she's at now and to have her mother push her hand, force her to talk about it in front of everybody uh was the most... Michael, the most Vulcan way to do this?
0: Yeah, her mother, I understood she must have been doing it for a reason, but I couldn't discern at the moment what that reason was. All I knew was that if I was Michael, I would be as pissed as Michael was. Like You could see her looking (laughs) betrayed and wounded by her own mother. She finally finds her parents. She's finally reunited, only gets stabbed in the back to her face.
1: I don't know if it was so much stabbed in the back, as in uh, the little bird was pushed out of the nest kind of thing, I thought. I thought. Uh, but that look that Michael, that's <laughs> that she gave um, her mother when her mom started pushing her, she's like, really? <laughs> her eyes were screaming it.
0: <laughs> because Well, the first half of that dialogue where her mom is outlining all of Michael's and Starfleet's faults was very clearly working counter to Burnham's goal there. And she was like, whose side are you on? And when Michael finally came around and said, these are all the great things about Starfleet, that's when it started to make sense. And that is what the mom was going for. And when that scene was done and the camera goes back to Gabriel and she's in tears, I was like, oh, that must have been so hard for her. And she's so glad to see her daughter work through it.
1: Uh, in uh, Michael's room afterwards, you can see like uh basically like she is not all about the tough love. Uh, <laughs> she's like, you could have picked a better time to start learning how to be a mama. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the mom said that she orphaned her child. at you know, that's those are harsh words. But I did love that scene at the end with the two of them in the bedroom for two reasons. One was the mom saying, "You know where to find me." Yeah, because first. Michael thought mom was dead. Second of all, Michael thought mom was a time traveler who was waiting for her in the future. Neither of those things ended up being true. And finally, there's some stability to their relationship. And the other thing I loved about that scene was Gabriel passing along the words from Madam President about wondering how much of the man Spock became was because of who his sister was. I just, I love that. And I can, totally understand why michael just dissolved at that
1: that was really good i suspect it hits people who have siblings a little harder than only children like me but it still hit me pretty good
0: yeah i can see the either having siblings or having lost parents would give that scene new or additional layers of meaning yeah so what else about the vulcans or about michael and gabriel do we want to talk about
1: um i mean i i I like the setup. I mean, this whole, uh, I don't remember the name of it. Kavat Ital Kavat. <laughs> uh, it was entirely made up for this, but I thought it was perfect. Uh, way to, we, I mean, like I, like I said, jokingly, like we having a nerd off. It reminded me of IT crowd and street countdown. Um, uh, <laughs> if you don't know the game show countdown, it is the most nerdy, geeky thing in British <laughs> game shows. And I highly suggest it. Um, but, uh, uh, this this like, quorum of logic. I thought that was just so well done. And um and then like we saw as they worked out worked through these things that the Romulans and Vulcans were still very much it's tense it's a tense situation. It was so much so that Michael saw this, you know, them starting to yell at each other or raise their voice at each other. And uh she's like, you know what? I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm just going to have to ha- trust you, and you're going to have to trust me. I'm just going to end this quorum that I initiated, and uh, like I'm not going to be the reason that someone else breaks up and just like ends this. I thought it was, I thought that was so well done. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I I don't know, i can pinpoint what, but I just thought it was good.
0: <laughs> well, she saw that she could potentially be undoing her own brother's legacy. She might be. That's... dividing the peoples that he unified.
1: Those are the words I couldn't find. Thank you.
0: Sure. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm I think that that was very true to her Federation creed. I know that she wants to bring the Federation back together, and doing that means solving the burn, and that's why she went to Vulcan in the first place, or Navar. N- Navar. But she wasn't abandoning the quest of solving the burn she just said we're going to do this without you and we'll give you all of our data and hope that you can help us in the way that you see fit so it's not like she was walking away she just said i'm going to do this the harder way if that makes things better for vulcan
1: yeah and i mean how much that i mean i mean that's right there like the what we're told starfleet and federation kind of ideals are and michael's uh it's like all right sorry We didn't mean to cause the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're still going to be here. We're going to trust you. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Again, showing Federation of Michael's values to yet another planet who used to be
0: (laughs) Although I am curious about the conversation between Madam President and Saru, where he said, you know, the Federation still has the same ideals. And she basically said, are you sure about that? Which implies that there have been incidents and episodes that the Federation is not going to want to be quick to admit to Discovery. I'm, we've seen them, yes, treating their member worlds well and doing relief missions, but the Madam President's comment is consistent with the suspicion I think you and I both have of the Admiral.
1: That's something, yeah, something else is going on here. And you know what, this episode actually helped me – tone that back that something more is going on because she kind of helped confirm this and she said um, uh, uh, basically she told us a little bit of the history and that the Federation when they realized that the dilithium was going away that um, they started pushing the member worlds more and more to find an alternative solution to warp drive with dilithium anyway and but then she adds like, like you know there was other things, and the... I don't know if it was only that, or if it was. But as she said, the final straw. I don't know if it was the continuing pressure, or if it was just this. And
0: right, oh, it I wasn't don't. just the issue with the new warp technology. It was a long line of things leading up to that, and I have no idea what those could have been because at that point the Federation was three hundred and fifty planets. And I think she said that maybe the Federation was stretched too thin and they were pushing their members too hard.
1: There was something like that. I thought that was in relation to the replacement travel, but uh, it could mean just from her viewpoint, that's what it was, but it could mean a whole multitude of things.
0: Yeah, because if you have planets like Barzan in the Federation, which we found out happened, and those people are known for poverty, basically, then raising the standard of living on that planet is something that other Federation members would have to contribute. I mean, in a way, the Federation is sort of socialist. And so those who have much give much to help the lesser members who can't help themselves. And maybe they brought in too many member planets who were not able to contribute. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that that's an excuse because that's the same argument that certain... Political administrations have used to withdraw from treaties and accords. Like, right. oh, it was a bad deal for us. And I'm like, I find that to be very nationalistic and not looking at the greater good. But I can see how there may have been members of the federation who shared that viewpoint.
1: For sure, there's a lot of people. Oh, yeah, I'm. I yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, 350 plans. That's a lot of perspectives. A lot of plurality.
1: Uh, <laughs> and now you get one emperor who you. Unifies them all under his heart dark rule. That's
0: right. You have to get people into a room and agree. And if they don't agree, you make them. (laughs) It's that easy.
1: Um, (laughs) You know, but again, we're seeing this theme of we're getting the old gang back together again and show them, you know what? We're still okay if we work together. And so that's going to be a big thing. I think this season is less about exploring what happened in that big time span and more like. Here's a quick snapshot of that. Maybe in a future date, assuming we're still in the same time period, in the same universe, next season, uh, we can explore that a bit more then. Uh, But for now, it's like, yep, here's what the Romulans are doing, here's what the Vulcans are doing, here's what Earth's doing. Cool, alright, let's get to the other story. And I'm okay with that. It's kind of rapid fire, like Planet of the Week, but it's fine so far. I know some people want to explore it more.
0: Well, that's a good point. I mean, it's too early in the season to accurately predict where the series is going, because we know there's going to be a season four. But that's a good question. Are they going to stay in that century? And there are so many other plot threads that I want to bring up later in this podcast episode that we haven't seen lately. But uh, are we there is more about this episode, though, looking in the short term that I want to talk about? Are is there more to say about Navarre? Or should we? talk about the chain of command on discovery
1: one quick note and then let we'll jump ahead it's very, very quick here I, I i watched ready room this morning which i don't usually do for a reason i just uh don't and uh today they had uh martin green on there and when asked by will Wheaton, can you tell us without spoilers what to watch for the entire season not just what's coming up and Sonequa had something I thought was interesting to help us that would help could help us reflect back about any situation that we're coming kind of gonna talk about at all in Transporter Lock here. And she said, this season the characters are asked to ask themselves who is their authentic self and who are you when you're in a world that doesn't know me? Uh-huh. And uh, that could help us even with a Tilly conversation here coming up. Uh, basically, who am I when I'm in a time that I don't really belong in? And
0: that could even be a question that Book needs to ask himself, because uh, Michael has decided where she wants to be, and she asked him, what does this mean for you? And he said, I don't know. And we don't know if he's going to stay a regular member of the show, if he's going to apply to join Starfleet and this new Federation and become a true believer, or if he's just going to sail off into the sunset and continue his courier ways. Do you have any
1: thoughts uh he did add that all he knows is home he feels at home when he's with michael yeah uh that's the closest hint we've got but then they show you know uh pan out to him and Michael snuggling on the bridge of his ship uh looking off into space and so who knows how much he's gonna just hang around or always be on call yeah
0: <laughs> Well, she said that, likewise, he feels like home to her, and yet it seems if she had to choose, she would choose Starfleet.
1: Maybe it'll be like Neelix, and he just parks a ship on in the shuttle bay, and we only see it when we need it. <laughs> it is
0: rather convenient. The size, the, specifically the width of <laughs> Book's ship, is exactly that of the shuttle bay.
1: You know, even as you started that sentence, I started thinking, like, you know what? It's programmable matter. It probably can squeeze a little bit. That whole ship is programmable matter? Yeah, you see, uh, last week when they were on the prison colony, totally indentured servitude and nothing else, um, that ship reconfigured, uh, uh, like, like, moved itself like a Transformer, if you watch oh, that.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. Interesting.
1: So, And we saw it in the first episode, too, when he let out the space whales. Uh, mm. A little bit, or at least on the planet when the space whale was starting to eat everybody. Uh, when they <laughs> pulled out the cargo bay, hold. Like, yeah, that thing shifts uh, and tran- transforms like a transformer.
0: And you have a note here that programmable matter is Tanika Martin Green's favorite tech of the season.
1: Yeah, she was asked what that what her favorite tech is, new tech, and she, that's what she her answer was
0: <laughs> because it can be anything.
1: Oh, uh, I, I can't remember. Did I say that in the show or that, but I tweeted it. Uh, I was like, you know what? All the cool new tech, whatever, I still miss the props. I like the pads. I like the tricorders with the physical props. Because now you have the actors waving their hands in the air, pretending they're looking at something like, oh. No, I mean, it looks cool on TV, but I feel sorry for those actors.
0: (laughs) You know, Speaking of Twitter, I want to share a Twitter thread that friend of the show, Susan Arndt, had. Uh, I I haven't asked her permission for this, but it's a public Twitter thread, so here I go. Uh, She was talking about what she likes about Michael Burnham, and what she had to say was, begin, quote, So here's what I really like about Michael Burnham on Star Trek Discovery. She's a jerk. (laughs) A well-meaning jerk, the kind of jerk that you're friends with, but still have to call them out on their jerkness from time to time. Traditionally, the heroes of Star Trek have been, well, awfully damn heroic. Which is great, don't get me wrong. I grew up having aspirational heroes and it helped make me who I am. But real people aren't like that. That's what makes it aspirational, duh. Michael loves her friends, feels a sense of duty, wants to serve, and also thinks the rules shouldn't apply to her because she clearly knows best. She's arrogant, though in a low-key way that smart people will recognize. She is often the smartest person in the room which makes her irritated when people don't get in line with whatever she wants. She hasn't internalized that being right isn't always enough. And I love that because part of life's struggle is knowing when to abide by the rules and when to know the rules are in the way. And then pairing her up with Mira Georgiou is just so good because of course Philippa is always going to give her permission to break the rules. Mm-hmm. Of course she is. And then you've got her mom on the other side, forcing her to be honest with herself. It's a far more complex protagonist than Star Trek typically has, which pairs nicely with this new future that the writers have to play with. End quote.
1: I think that is amazing.
0: It is. And I hadn't thought of that in a way Michael has two moms, which is granted something you and I talked about last season, but this season, even though Georgiou wasn't in this episode, and her mom wasn't in the episodes that my- Georgiou's been in this season, you still have, it's almost like the devil and the angel sitting on her shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, t- trying to pull her in each direction. And even the devil side isn't necessarily bad, because it's a part of who Michael is, and she... Is embracing that she just needs to learn when and how to embrace
1: it. Yeah, that adds some extra depth that, like, like we 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 touched the precipice of it. We didn't really talk about or, or think of that deeply. I, I that's awesome.
0: Yeah, well, we don't have to because Susan did it for us. No, thanks, Susan. <laughs> okay, the, we. He, to keep the podcast to about an hour, which means we have about another 10 minutes to go. So, although there probably is more to be said about Georgiou, Book, and Burnham, let's go ahead and talk about Saru and Tilly in this episode. What do you got to say about that?
1: You know, when Dana said last week, like, she thinks Tilly was going to be first officer, I was like, uh, I don't know. But then this week it happened, and then I was like, you know what? In retrospect, they totally foreshadowed this repeatedly, and I'm gung-ho, I'm all for it.
0: (laughs) So Dana was right. Thank you, guest of the show, Dana. You totally called it. And I (sighs) am not sold. I'm just not sold. I, Well, first of all, there are a couple things here. Nilsen must be pissed.
1: (laughs) You know, we're making the assumption that she's next in line. But I, I saw your note there, and I looked at the rankings of whoever everybody on the ship, because we don't really hear them.
0: But she, we've seen her in command of Discovery earlier this season when Saru and Burnham were off the bridge. Nilsen had the con.
1: Yeah, and we were basing the assumption that must mean that she is next in line, but it's not necessarily the case. It could be she was the highest uh, ranking at the time on the bridge could mean that she's wanting to get some more command hours. We were making assumptions on nothing but that. And like there are other people here and I uh, so I think our correct our assumption there was totally off base now.
0: Okay, in that case, even if Nilsson was not next in line, There was somebody next in line after Burnham who was not Tilly, and that person, (laughs) I think, would be upset. Because if you think about all the people in engineering who said, say yes to Tilly, all of them, rank-wise, were probably closer to a command position than Tilly was.
1: Uh, Every single one of them. Tilly is acting XO. That's, That's important. And you know what? I can't picture any of those other characters right now, especially like when you have Nilsson who is a secondary secondary character, a tertiary <laughs> character. Um at this moment, uh I don't see I can't see Calber doing it, who is Lieutenant Commander. I can't see Stamets, who is Lieutenant Commander. I don't know if Jet Reno would do it. And She's commander. Uh mm. so unless Nan comes back, who is also commander, uh I don't know. I think, you know, in retrospect, I think Tilly is the perfect choice out of our main characters to be this role.
0: Well, you know what? That's an interesting framework. If you wanted to use this opportunity to develop an additional character prior to killing them off, like Arium and Nan, then this would be an opportunity to do so. But you're right. If you want to look at the pool of who are the named characters that the audience is intimately familiar with that dramatically limits your choices. And from those remaining Tilly seems like a valid choice.
1: Yeah. She's the one who bounces around from department to department. She's mostly focused on engineering, but she can help around the other ones. Uh, Her character is the most fluid who is seen in other scenes. Uh, Mm. She already gets a basis, a little bit of everything possibly because she was a cadet at first, you know, uh, where she gets a little bit of life from everywhere, except, you know, she's not really in the medical field, but you get you get what I'm going for here. She's all over. Uh, she fits the most. Uh, we don't see, other than Culber, who is in charge of his engineering lab, which we still don't really have a main engineering, uh, as <laughs> a side note, but um, we don't see anyone else here in a command position. Uh, I mean, even Reno is a commander, but she doesn't command.
0: Hmm. Although I am concerned about Tilly in two particular scenarios, one being uh, in-person conflict, not verbal, but physical. I don't think we've ever seen her take command or really hold her own. Usually it's somebody else protecting her or coming to her rescue. And the other is this means that if Saru is off the bridge or incapacitated, she is in command of the ship. And although we know from her brief stint in the mirror universe that she does have it in her, there are times when she is very unsure of herself as well. And I'm not sure what that would look like in this new future.
1: Uh, Now that they put her in charge, they are definitely going to use that in the latter half of this season here. It is Mm -hmm. the Chekhov's uh, executive, the Chekhov's XO. Uh, yes. uh she is going to be put in this position and she is going to have to make a difficult decision that will ultimately turn out to be the right thing in the end, even though it really sucks to have to make that decision. Uh, Which is
0: exactly what you were describing with the Orville last week. You I know, say? when the captain and the XO were trapped on the zoo planet?
1: Oh yeah. Uh yeah, Dana mentioned yeah.
0: that. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. That was I'm sorry. Dana, full credit to you for quoting from the Orville and accurately predicting what Tilly is going to have to endure later this season.
1: Uh yeah. Uh I think I think it's great she has shown uh here and there when she is not realizing she's in a command position like she's she's even in this episode she was barking out orders uh and she didn't remember the last one. I was mixing it together, but she was barking out orders and she didn't even notice it. Yep. Uh it was very natural to her when she's not focused on it and one. So, I think she's going to do great and I'm so happy that they are doing this with this character. Uh yep. she's far different from season 1 Tilly in Yes. And I I liked season 1 Tilly, but I'm glad to her growth here. I like it a lot.
0: Yep, I like how last week she told Saru to do the right thing, and they were in agreement about what that was. I like that this week she stood up to Michael and said, you put me in a really difficult position. Because as we know from Harry Potter, it's hard to stand up to your enemies, but harder to stand up to your friends.
1: Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. That that was one of the opening scenes with her standing up to Michael. I thought that was so good. Uh, I thought that was a really well done scene by both of Mm them. Uh, And just for the character itself. Uh, So good. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and Tilly still loves Michael and wasn't holding a grudge. She's like, hey, I need to say this and let you know this, and let's take a look at the black box data. You know, she was a total professional about it, and I loved it. Yeah. And she was also, of course, despite having to stand up to her friend and maybe even being mad at her, was also in tears that Michael was not leaving at the end of the episode.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's good. We, we didn't talk about. Michael decided to stay. I mean, it was obvious because mm-hmm. you've seen the episode, but, like, she decided to stay after finally being forced to confront everything that she's been going through for the last few episodes. Mm-hmm. And unleash those feelings And upon a huge crowd, her mother even said, the quorum <laughs> is not your only audience. Yep. Uh, she needed to tell the crew how she was feeling. And she was like, okay, I'm staying.
0: Well, the crew, herself, and Madam President.
1: hmm
0: Everybody. Yep. And I I love that when she shows up, she's like, did I miss the cool say yes part?
1: (laughs) That feels like they were like totally tongue in cheek how corny it was. But, you know, it's still fun.
0: Yeah, because you like to think of these things as happening organically. Like when we saw Pike leave the bridge of the Discovery last season and everybody stood and gave him attention. It's not like they all went around and said, Hey, psst, psst, when Pike leaves, let's all stand up and give him attention. <laughs> but clearly, that is what happened this week. They're like, hey, 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 when Tilly comes in, we're all going to say say yes, and we're going to go in this order. First you, then you. That way, we don't all say it at the same time. Okay? All <laughs> right. All right. Here she comes. Everybody get get in position. Shh, shh, shh.
1: <sighs> and next day, you did a song and dance. Uh... Yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Probably something from Rent. <laughs> oh. So yeah, this is going to be a very interesting dynamic. I also appreciate the distinction you pointed out about her being acting commanding officer, which means that this is temporary. At my workplace, people volunteer basically to be in a management position, and they can stop being managers whenever they want. It's a step down that they elect. It's not a demotion. It has no impact on their salary. It's just, hey, I wanted to do this position. I want to grow my careers and my skills and try something different. And now I'm ready to not do that anymore in that particular way. And I hope that Tilly realizes that, that this is an opportunity for her to try command, see what it's like. And when they're ready to find a permanent XO, she'll go back to doing something else. And that's no reflection on her. It's just the situation.
1: Yeah. And maybe it'll become permanent.
0: That's right. Or, You you know,
1: as best it can be.
0: I mean, we have seen people accelerate through the ranks very quickly, like Kirk in the Kelvin universe. He went from Starfleet Academy to captain in like a day flat. (laughs) Stranger things have happened. That's right. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts about this episode of discovery?
1: Yeah. Uh, One final one. And it was in that scene with the say yes or I, uh, yeah, that scene, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm kayla she smiled for the first time oh and to me i know it's, it's not the you're just, <laughs> i feel like it comes off as the uh you're prettier when you smile thing but it's not what i'm going for I, i'm going for <laughs> the. i don't know maybe it's just me like, that's not what i'm going for but to me it's so that uh because you know in the way tv works when someone is down they act differently than when in real life in real life even when you're depressed you can still smile sometimes but in tv shows it's different how it works because you know we only get so much airtime. and sh- she's been down in this whole season and here mm. they showed her actually with a happy expression and to me I, th- I feel like that we're trying to show like kayla is finally working through her depression not through it just working through it and in the best way tv can when it's not about that character
0: yeah, that's that's important to point out. I really like that character, and I think this week she found something to be happy about in a way that can be easily communicated to a television audience.
1: Yeah, uh, so mm. in short, just more growth on characters, even if it's subtle, is what I'm mm-hmm. happy about here.
0: Yeah, although speaking of character growth, I realize that there can really only be so much jammed into one episode, but I am starting to notice absences as well. We didn't see Jet. We didn't see Adira. We still don't know what's going on with the song that everybody knows. So there's still a lot to unpack this season. I'm not saying those things should have been crammed into this week, but when they introduce these threads and then let them lie... It makes me a little anxious because I'm like, you're you're forgetting something. Why did you make us think about that? What's going on?
1: And Philippa wasn't in this one.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. So that's a lot of important characters. They are all considered guest characters. The people that we pointed out, Jet, Adira, and Georgiou, they come up in the opening credits as a guest character. And by the way, I've been meaning to mention this for the last six weeks is the opening sequence changes every season. Sometimes it even changes mid-season. And this season featured prominently are the little bots that go around and, you know, fix ships and etc. And I wonder, are they just trying to show future technology or are those things actually important this season?
1: Uh, I mean, they even showed it one in this episode, Uh, when Sru and um, Tarisha, I think her name was was very much an English name, but with an apostrophe in it. But um, the president, Uh, there was one above in the window. And there was one, I think, even at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. I don't think... Ultimately, I don't think that there's supposed to be a deeper meaning to that. But I did find that interesting as well. It's like, why did they do this? And the real answer is, I don't have an answer for you. But I don't think they're going for anything subtle or or hidden. Yeah, you're probably right.
0: But nonetheless leaves with me the question of all the things they could have put in the opening credits. Why that? Because we saw little bots to a degree in the season two finale. So this is not exactly look at what we have a thousand years in the future. I'm like, "Mm, that's not really new. So why now? Yeah. Oh, well, Mm. anyway, I am excited. The first half of the season, I feel like it's going a little slower than I expected, but I'm, it nonetheless leaves me excited. For where it is going. What do you think? I mean, brief thoughts, mid season review, Brie. Uh,
1: I'm glad it's going slower. Uh, I thought, mm, no, I thought it was going to take all season to get Talk to the Mom to talk, go through, feelings, <laughs> to go through half this stuff. And I'm actually, even though the episodes might be a little slower than past seasons of Discovery, I think it's going at a good pace, even if it's a little slower. It's just slow for Discovery. Normal pace, I think, probably for most shows.
0: (laughs) That's true. I think perhaps my thoughts about it going slowly may still be cemented in the misconception that it's only 10 episodes. Because if we were now 70% done the season, I'd be like, they got a lot of work to do in the last three episodes. But they have another seven episodes. So maybe I just need to slow myself down. (laughs) Well, this has been another great episode of both Discovery and of Transporter Lock. What a better way to end the holiday week of Thanksgiving here in the United States than another great show to be thankful for. So until next week, hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at Transporter Lock or subscribing
1: to our podcast and email newsletter at transporterlock.com. Yay. All right.
0: Rock on. That was good. Yeah. We're good at this.
1: Hell yeah. It's like we've done this 67 or so times. Oh my God. Just for this show. So
0: much.